0: Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a math class. If you get the right answer, you can stay for the next uh, class period. If you get the wrong answer, you are cast into the principal's office where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom of heaven is like a football game. The lead may go back and forth, even in the fourth quarter, but. Rest assured, the underdog wins. The kingdom of heaven is like a cup of coffee in the morning. The aroma fills the room. The ritual brings comfort to your soul. And the warmth stirs you to life on a cold and rainy morning. Now, if you came to church week after week, and Pastor Travis talked to you like that, you'd probably cock your head and say... Why are you teaching us in parables? What is going on here? How can the Kingdom of Heaven be like a math class and a football game and a cup of coffee? That makes no sense. Well, the reality is, Jesus talked like that all the time, didn't He? He used parables very often. and. So much so that it makes me ask the question, if Jesus wanted to make a point, why did he tell a story? Jesus was full of stories. He always told stories. Well, in this text this morning, Jesus answers a question from his disciples about why he speaks in parables. In fact, they, they heard him over and over and over and finally said, okay, why are you speaking in parables, and so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter thirteen. Matthew chapter thirteen it takes a, a turn. Uh, in fact, we're going to between now and Christmas going to have a a short series that just focuses on the parables here in Matthew chapter thirteen. But Jesus goes from what he had been doing, going to town to town, healing people. Uh, uh, And preaching and casting out demons and all these things. And now it takes a turn and Matthew uh, incorporates this collection, you might say, of parables. And so let's, let's read about that. Today we're going to look at the explanation, partly because that's very Western of us to do. It's very analytic of us to take the explanation before we actually take the parable. So we're admitting our own bias in that. But we're going to look at what Jesus says about why he speaks in parables. So, I'm going to start in in verse 1. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. Then down in verse 10. Then the disciples came to him, this is after the first parable. Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, in hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, you will indeed hear and never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have, they have closed closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then down in verse 34, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouths in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And so here you have Jesus um, speaking in parables. In fact, nothing that he said did he say without a parable? And the disciples have had enough. Why do you speak in parables? And so Jesus answers that question. And he, he answers the question very simply. Okay, It takes a long time to do it and quotes the Old Testament and things that preachers do, I suppose. But it's a simple answer. Namely, Jesus spoke in parables so that some would understand him and some wouldn't. He used parables so that some would get it and some would harden their hearts. Parables were at the same time the means of both revealing the truth and obscuring it. And so, as Jesus spoke in parables, it will be useful, I think, for us to see His explanation. So it tells us he taught them many things in parables in verse 3. And then, uh, at the end, it says he spoke nothing to them without a parable. And so, probably it's worth stopping for a moment and saying, what is a parable? Don't really use that word. In fact, I asked my my wife, like, if you had to talk about this, what would you say? And she gave me not a parable, but a riddle that her dad would always tell her. And her dad her dad had a very quirky sense of humor, so much so that I'm not even going to share it with you now. <laughs> like, that would not help the situation. But she gave me a riddle, and a riddle is close, but it's not a parable. A parable is a simple story with a single point. It's a simple story with a single point. You don't have to get any more complicated than that, really, But it's important that you recognize that there's really only one thing in a parable generally unless Jesus tells us otherwise. If Jesus interprets the details of the parable then you can go with Jesus. But if he doesn't you're best to kind of distill it down and say what's the one thing I'm supposed to get out of this? And so it's a simple story with a single point and It generally compares subjects for the purpose of teaching from two different realms, Uh, usually a subject from something we know about, uh, trying to teach us about something we don't know about. It's usually an everyday sort of situation, revealing a spiritual situation. An allegory, I mean, a a parable is not an allegory. It's important that you understand that, meaning it's not something that every detail means things. I mean, I've heard people go through parables, some of the ones we're going to go through in the next few weeks, and come up with the most amazing, most unusual, most far-fetched things. Because they're trying to get the special meaning out of every detail of Every branch of the mustard plant, and every bird that's on the per, on the branches, and every little thing, and you just can't do that really. So it's your safest to just say, "What's the one salient point?" in uh, in Greek. I mean, of course, uh, the word parable is translated from Greek. All the New Testament is translated from Greek and the word parable is translated from the Greek word are you ready for this? parable when that happens it's usually not very helpful but uh, the Greek word parable A is used and it has a range of meaning but at the at the heart of it it means to throw alongside you're going to throw this story I did about math class alongside or throw the story about coffee alongside so that If it's close enough, you can kind of get the idea of uh, what he's trying to convey. And so, it usually, a, a parable helps us move from what we know or what we see and feel to the spiritual reality underneath what Jesus is trying to teach us. And so... He taught in parables, we still have to say, like, why would you do that? And one of the reasons that I want to ask why I do that is, he's not always clear enough for me. These parables are not precise. I mean, Travis will know this, but I get questions regularly, like, how can I know? That I'm saved? Or how can I know this is true? Or what exactly do I have to do? Those are good questions. Jesus rarely answers them. That's the only problem. Jesus teaches in parables in part so that we will wrestle with the ambiguity that is there in His picture. Jesus isn't so interested in precision as he was in uh, having us trust him and come up with a a deep-seated resonance, really, with what Jesus is talking about. Another, Another way to think about this is that Jesus was interested in spiritual imagination as much as he was with certainty. Now, I want you to know, I have worked as hard as anybody to try and be certain about everything I can be certain about. But the reality is, these parables, this is like this. And you have to say, ah, ah in what way? And that is the way that Jesus has chosen to teach. And then he tells us why he does that. In verse, verse 10, the disciples came, and they've had enough. Why do you do this? And... Jesus um, tells them that it is given to them to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to the others it has not been given. So Jesus' answer in verse 11 is that I'm teaching in parables because it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. I'm teaching parables because you're privileged. And I'm teaching in parables because they're not privileged. And so he wants them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. This is not the certainty of the kingdom of heaven, is it? He wants them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It reminds us of the book of Daniel in chapter 2 when God is the revealer of mysteries. God begins to tell them what will take place. That there is a coming kingdom that will be destroyed and then another and then another and then another and finally a kingdom that will not be destroyed. And so this mystery of the kingdom is really the mystery Jesus is revealing in these parables. That one of the things that's happening is that the kingdom has come and it doesn't look like you thought it would look. And it's invisible at first. And it's small and it grows, but it will succeed. And he takes multiple passes at showing them how that's going to work. That the kingdom has come in advance of the the end, when the kingdom will come down with this massive disruption. The kingdom is now coming silently and with stealth. This new truth, this mystery of the kingdom now given to men by revelation in the person and mission of Jesus is that the kingdom which will one day have final apocalyptic power is now entered the world in a hidden and small way within and among men. So how do you say that? I mean, it's not going to be like my math class. It's not going to be like my cup of coffee. It's not even going to be like a football game. How do you do that? You have to craft, you might say, the shape of this kingdom. And Jesus does it with multiple stories. He says, you have the privilege of seeing the kingdom at its very smallest, as it begins to break into the world, the mysteries of the kingdom. And then he, has, then he says in verse 12, the one who has more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. There are two sides to the parable coin. The one side is the positive side, which I mentioned earlier. It's given to you to know the kingdom. And as you work to understand this parable, it will be rich and sweet and meaningful to you. But the other side of the coin is that there are those who will see and hear but they won't really hear and they won't really see and they won't understand. And it will be, everything they have will be taken away from them. And teaching in this way accomplishes both of these things. And see, so I think that's one of the things that has happened to the church in America in the last. 50 years is that we have tried to make certain all of these propositions so that if people begin to agree with propositions they are christians or they are evangelicals and they can be polled before or after elections and what jesus jesus isn't propositional jesus is parabolic here which is very very interesting but in doing that, what he does is he, he doesn't make it easy to agree with a proposition. Instead, he says it's kind of like this. And it's going to make no sense to those whose eyes are not open. And in fact, it's going to harden their hearts. And this revelation that Jesus is giving of himself and of the kingdom will it tend to obscure For those who do not want to submit to Jesus, it will obscure the truth, and their hard hearts will not respond. And so the result of that hardness is that they can't or they won't see. They can't or they won't hear. They won't understand. And so Jesus sees this as a double-edged sword where it cuts both for those who are part of the kingdom they'll get it. For those who are not, they won't get it. And I'm sure if you're like me, that bothers you a little bit. I would like Jesus to make everybody get it. But he doesn't. And one one of the things that we just have to come to grips with in some regard except is just even what I read in my quiet time yesterday from Second Corinthians 4.4 4, says in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ the image of God and it is so easy I think For us to to think that we we just want to be so nice and the reality is there are people who are rebellious against God and have no intention of submitting to Jesus. And God will treat them as their sins deserve. Well, this is a big enough problem that Jesus um, brings in the Old Testament to support This side of the coin, you might say. This side of uh, the problem, where people people's hearts are hard and they reject God. He wants you to know that people have done this for a long, long time. Look at verse fourteen. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will indeed hear and never understand. You will indeed see and never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and their ears can barely hear and their eyes have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. In other words, if these are just stories to you, you don't get it. God has revealed himself over and over and over and yet his own people even miss it. I think this is the hard thing for me is that these are the people of God that he's talking to. The crowd the crowd are not a bunch of strangers. The crowd really are primarily Jews who should know the Old Testament who would respect the prophecy of Isaiah who would be quick to say, no, that's not me. But in fact, Jesus is saying, you're just like them. In fact, I think it's interesting that in verse 15, Jesus said, for this people's heart has grown dull. In other words, this is Jesus teaching these parables as a way of making clear that Israel as a nation has rejected him it is the heart of the people one heart multiple people as a group they have rejected their own messiah this is nowhere more clear than in chapter 12 verse 38 when they ask for a sign give us a sign and i'm inclined to think oh well of course everyone wants a sign that it's not a sign of their an indication of their belief, it's an indication of their unbelief for them to ask for a sign. It's like they know it's been there for years and years and years, and they're saying, Ha ah, ha, one more, give us one more. Then, yeah, that'll put us over the edge. When in fact, it won't. The fact that they didn't see it as clear as Jesus had been and needed still one more sign was an indication, really, that they had no intention of submitting to Jesus and following him in his kingdom. Because Jesus had revealed himself to them with everything they needed, and they still reject him. And that's, I think, why he chooses this passage from Isaiah to talk to um, uh, to to pull in here as an explanation because just like jesus is the revelation of god in history here he brings in isaiah from isaiah chapter 6 where god himself gives this amazing revelation of himself in the people have no interest in responding here's how it went in isaiah we read the first few verses at the beginning of the service in the year the king of ziyah died i saw the lord okay this is a revelation this is a revelation of who god is i saw the lord sitting on a throne okay it's a kingdom revelation high and lifted up in the train of his robe filled the temple you've never seen such a regal king as this Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. These majestic creatures called one to another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him, Who called and the house was filled with smoke. Now, if you saw a vision like that, my guess is you wouldn't just yawn and say, Let's go back to the game. You would probably at least think twice about the reality of who God is and what that means to you personally. And that's what Isaiah did. It, it, it continues in chapter 6. It says, I, it, And I said, Woe to me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then he's commissioned Whom shall I send and who will go forth? He said, Hear my, send me. And then this is what God tells him Hear my, send me. I, I will represent you as the king. He Isaiah says. Then God says, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So here is this majestic, revelation of who God is. And the people have their ears stopped and their eyes closed and their hearts hard. They did in Isaiah's time, and Jesus is saying, they do now too. They do now too. And again, we just say, but Jesus, won't you just be a little nicer? Won't you just make it easier? But I want you to realize, if you see Jesus and not, and Jesus reveals Himself to you and He reveals who God is to you, and it's clear, and He's right there, and you refuse Him, how could you expect God to welcome you with open arms when you're just there saying, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you? parables are here. They're here to help if your eyes are open and your ears are unstopped. And they're also here to seal your fate if your heart is hard toward Jesus. And you'll see that even next week when we talk about the parable of the sowers. There, are, there is some hard soil that the gospel does not penetrate Sufficiently. Well, then, in verse uh, 16 and 17, he, he also, I think, would tack on or add that, that really his parables are the source of blessing for those who hear and respond. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, And did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I've never really spent adequate time thinking about that. Thinking about really how lucky I am. Luck isn't exactly the right word, but you'll forgive it for a moment. How lucky I am that I have the revelation of Jesus in the Scriptures. That I have... A Savior who died on a cross that is completely well-attested in history and He rose and there's an empty grave. And I don't need to sit there and wonder about what is real and true about the nature of the universe. How easy it is for me that I have this revelation of God in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears for they hear. You've heard that language before, haven't you? Blessed are your eyes, or blessed are your ears. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And this reminds us, I think, of the nature of this kingdom. This kingdom is a a kingdom where life is lived differently. Where being fully human means that you're fully happy. And so when Jesus tells us the kingdom of heaven is like, He wants you to know that you really do want to be part of it. Because if your eyes see, you're going to be happy. If your ears hear, your heart will be happy. The substance of the parables coming in um, chapter 13, you might say, fill in the happiness blanks that were left over from the Beatitudes, if there were any. Because the kingdom of God is a happy place and it's happy because Jesus is there. And so, if you respond to this revelation, if you read these parables in chapter 13, and if you hear them and you respond and say, I want that, I want more, tell me more, include me, bring me in. You will be happy even now because that's the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is such that Jesus has come and the kingdom is now and here and invading the world and one day will, be, uh, will take over. But right now, there are small embassies of the kingdom, we call them churches, where this kingdom life is practiced. And the people who become part of those uh, small bits of the kingdom are people whose ears are open and eyes see and hearts understand. And they're the ones that can walk with Jesus even now. Even later, it tells us that one of the parables that the... um, kingdom is like leaven or yeast that gets mixed into a lump of dough, and one way or another, and we don't for sure know how, it works its way throughout that dough until it all is leavened. And so, right now, having a heart that's sensitive to Jesus, you can have the first taste of that kingdom. That one day you will enjoy thoroughly. And I think this is, you know, it's a little bit hard to, to talk about why parables without actually hearing a parable. Or hearing two parables or three parables. And I, I want you to keep this in mind as you, as you listen to these in these coming weeks. To say, what is Jesus doing here? He's telling some of us. He's confirming for us that our eyes are open and we're hearing this and we belong to Jesus. And he's confronting the rest of us saying, Your heart needs softening, your eyes need opening, you need to respond to Jesus. And all of us, as Jesus lays alongside the the physical reality, of seeds and soil, of weeds and wheat, of pearls and of treasures. As He does that, we're all going to have to wrestle with what is this kingdom like? When we'd probably rather just be certain and just be precise and just know how the formula works Because Jesus doesn't give us that. He gives us parables instead. Jesus is much more interesting in us filling out this picture of a three-dimensional kingdom of heaven than He is of us being um, precise and having some kind of equation. If you do this and this and this, you're good. Good. And so following Jesus is about responding to who Jesus is. Responding to what you know and pursuing more of Jesus. And see, I don't... I've held back, I'm just going to say. Trying not to disturb you too much. But I've also said enough, I hope, that you recognize... I'm not trying to convince you this morning that you have all the right answers or that you've checked all the right boxes. And so you're good. I would rather you, like me, constantly evaluate when I hear Jesus talk, am I in sync with Jesus? Am I submitting to Jesus? Am I doing everything in my power to follow Jesus? Is my heart being drawn to Jesus? That's the purpose of these parables, rather than to make you certain that you're good and you don't need to worry about it. And so it's my prayer that your eyes are looking for him this morning, your ears are listening to him. Because it gives us an opportunity to, again, to reassess our hearts. And every time he does that, it's a gift of grace. The last thing that I would want for you is for you to have a history, really a history, where you did the right thing back when you were in Sunday school. Or you raised your hand when this evangelist came to town. You got the formula just right. I would much rather today that you be actively following a living king who will give you new life Make your hearts happy and include you in His kingdom.